Hello, I'm Benji Clifford, and you're listening to the Sirens of Audio. Very satisfactory. And what are you going to do about it? G'day audiophiles, this is the Sirens of Audio, the podcast that explores the universe of Doctor Who in the audio medium. My name's Dwayne. And my name is Philip. G'day Dwayne, g'day audiophiles. G'day Philip. Uh, guess what? What? I have been heading back into my Blu-rays again. Blu-rays? Um, I, know it's, I know it's not to do with audio, <laughs> but uh, I just like to keep telling you that uh, because I know you don't have them. And yeah. uh, boy, there's some sensational stuff on season, season 24. Um, beautiful, beautiful stuff, Philip. Uh, you got to get into it. But we're not yeah. here to talk about the TV show. We're here to talk about audios. And uh, today is episode 99. Can you believe that? 99. Wow. We need some red balloons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. We absolutely do. And it seems to have gone reasonably quick, although we we have we have jammed a lot into the into the last two years because it's only we've only been going for two years, Philip. I know, but it is astounding what we've managed to do. It, do, it doesn't feel like I say it doesn't feel like two years. It just feels yeah. like we've just started. Well, it it actually because we're one off of one hundred, we've got a very big show lined up for next week. But it got me thinking of words that. Doctor Who had introduced to me as a kid growing up. So the first time I heard words like megalomaniac, I think I heard that for the first time in Talons of Wang Chiang. This episode of our podcast today has got me thinking of the word penultimate. And the word penultimate is a word that was uh, bandied about a lot by John Nathan Turner in his, I think it was um, The TARDIS Inside Out was yep. uh, a book that he wrote uh, talking about some of his favourite episodes from each of the Doctors. And it was the Space Pirates, believe it or not, that was his favourite Troughton episode, because I think that was the first one he worked on. And uh, he, he called that the penultimate episode uh, of Patrick, of the second Doctor. So, uh, um, yeah, got me thinking about those uh, those penultimates. Um, some of the early penultimates in... Doctor Who, though, were uh, not quite as uh, uh, much to rave about as uh, some of the others, though. If you think about the penultimates, like The Smugglers was the second to last first Doctor story, which I think is okay. But, I think it's uh, okay. It'll be hard to tell, but from what I can tell, it looks okay. Yeah. But then you look at the Space Pirates, and I still think if we actually had the Space Pirates, I think we'd have a lot better view of that story than we currently do. Because I know there's not a lot to it uh, in terms of telesnaps and things like that. but I listened to it again recently on audio, strange that, and the last two episodes were actually pretty exciting and gripping. I was rather surprised. And yeah. considering um, none of the original ca- the main cast were actually live in studio for the very last episode, they filmed an awful lot yeah. and they inserted in. But I actually found the last two episodes good. So, yeah, I, I think once again, I suspect we have the worst episode saved just like we did with uh, Enemy of the World. 
I think you know the, the one that we had kept for years was the worst episode of the whole show. When we got the rest back, it was fantastic. I suspect that if we got the rest of the Space Pirates back, that uh, we might be surprised. I think the Space Pirates episode two may be the worst episode of that story as well. So that yeah. may be clouding our view of that. But we do have the next penultimate story, uh, Monster of Peladon. We've got all six episodes of that. And yeah, not not uh, not a, a, a very glorious moment for the third Doctor there. Can I say, nostalgically, that, that is actually one of my favourite shows from when I was young. Because it was the first time I met the Ice Warriors, because I'd read them in books, but you know, we, Curse of Peladon wasn't one of the shows they repeated. Um, so it was the first time I knew the Monster Peladon. Um, I love Alpha Centauri. I, 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 you know, the Queen being dragged around, I really enjoyed that episode when I, when I was a kid. So it, it still has moments. I did see it again recently, and it was a bit long. But yeah, in terms of memories, I actually have fond memories. So when everyone bags it out, I, I still think of it really fondly. Yeah, I really like the alien design in the first episode too. Um, he only lasts for that single episode. I think he gets killed off at the end. The little oh, gets burnt up by Agador, the laser Agador. Yeah, yeah, he's got a really, really cool design. But uh, I think that it's got the worst fight sequence of a stuntman in any Doctor Who story ever with uh, Ter Terry Walsh's face in full view on the screen. So I think that really detracts from the whole story, uh, that particular fight scene uh, for me. But yeah, lots of penultimates through the years. And this is our penultimate. And did you know that we just jumped in the rabbit hole without even knowing? We're what? in it. Oh, no, but this is not our penultimate because we're not stopping after this. It's the penultimate before 100. Okay. Wait till, you, wait till everyone sees what we're doing after 100. Well, grief. true. This is, the, yeah, this is the nervous 90s before you hit the century. That's right. That's when, the, that's when the real wisdom kicks in, when we turn 100. We're going to be talking about a couple of stories, because this is a randomoids episode this time, and we picked a couple of stories out of the TARDIS cookie jar that had been selected by our listeners. And I, before we get into those stories, well, well one of them is an audio-visual story called Cloud of Fear. The other one is an Eighth Doctor Charlie and Kara story called Memory Lane. But before we talk about those, I want to... Um, just uh, relay to you, Philip, because you haven't heard this yet. I want to relay some feedback that we've got recently. Excellent. All right. So we got this through our website, sirensofaudio.com, just our contact page. Someone wrote to us and said, hi, Dwayne and Philip. I wanted to reach out and let you know I'm a big fan of your show. I discovered it late last year and have been binging ever since. I was introduced to Doctor Who in the early 90s by my older brother. I was only about eight or nine and have been a massive fan ever since. I don't know many classic Doctor Who fans and literally no Big Finish fans, so listening to you guys is refreshing. And the fact that you are fellow Aussies is even better. Anyway, thanks for the great show. And that's from uh, Daniel Merai. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Dan. I know he's a, a member of our Facebook group, so if you, if you look for Doctor Who, the Sirens of Audio private Facebook group, he gets involved with some of our chats there. So thanks for sending that in, Dan. Really yeah, appreciate thank it. thank you, Dan. And you can have another five free episodes on us. Absolutely. Well, let's make, let's be generous. Let's make it 10. Okay. 10 free episodes on us. Just download them. They're all yours. Yep. Fair dinkum. That was a good one. Here's another one. Do you remember I, I just did a, a, a very amateur reading of um, the, uh, An Unearthly Child by Terry Sticks? It was not that amateur. Dwayne, you've got a lovely voice for radio. Oh. Oh. 
Thank you. It was a labour of love anyway, and I know that the BBC or whoever could ask me to take it down any time, but it's up there on the Signs of Audio YouTube page for you to listen to, and on the podcast feed if you want to search through and have a listen to an audio rendition of An Unearthly Child, written by Terence Dix. It's not the recorded one that's out there yet to be released, written by Nigel Robinson, read by William Russell. That's still out there. I wonder if we'll ever get that, Philip. I don't you ever heard know. any rumblings, rumours, anything? I don't know. I'd love to get it, though. Yeah. Very interesting when I started reading that. I thought, oh, I've got to do all those, try and get do those caveman voices down the track. So that was that was fun, remembering back to here uh, to try and imagine what they sounded like. Um, there's a couple of comments there. David says, thank you so much for sharing this wonderful story with us. I really enjoyed listening to it. And someone that goes by the name Unknown Artist said, this is really good, mate. I've listened to it twice. And your reading reminds me of the days when they still made an effort for the radio before it w all went on to podcasts and CDs. I don't really understand the second part of your comment. So I'll take the first part and thank you very much. <laughs> I think he's just saying you're classy, Dwayne. You know, like a proper radio presenter. Yeah, old I'll, school. Ta I'll take that. I'll take yeah, that. I would too. Uh, so thank you very much for that, guys. Um, the first story that we're going to have a talk about today is part of a segment that we like to call... We've got randomoids. <laughs> yes, it is randomoids time. And someone gave us the audio, which is the fifth audio in the audio visuals range, called Cloud of Fear, written by um, Alan, what was his name? Alan Lear, I think his yeah, name was. Alan W. Lear, that's right. Al Alan W. Lear. And um, I started listening to this, Philip, and I thought to myself, did you choose this to uh, play a bit of a prank on us? <laughs> Is that what you thought too when you started listening to this for the first time? I, I really wasn't sure what to expect. I've only listened to a couple of audio visuals. I do know that they play a very warm heart in lots of people, and I suspect we wouldn't have Big Finish um, if it weren't for them. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things I, I wasn't sure about when I started listening, but yeah, anyhow, go on. Okay, well, well, basically, the alien that's introduced in this story is called a cyanivore. Um, they're actually mentioned again because Alan Lear wrote or co-wrote with Gary Russell, Minuet in Hell, which was also a audiovisual story. And so those aliens are referenced again. It's been so long since I've heard Minuet in Hell, I can't remember how they tie into that story. Um but, yeah, I think because of the time pressure they had at the time, that's why Gary Russell came in and completed that story. But, um, yeah, Alan, Alan died about 2008, reasonably young. I think he had, uh, it's had chronic fatigue for quite a long time that affected him a, a lot over the years, and he, he died quite young, uh, relatively young anyway. But this was his first story uh, for audiovisuals. Bill Baggs put out a request for scripts, and this one came in. So um, so they did it. Of course, the Doctor's played by Nicholas Briggs. There's a character called Greg, played by Richard Marson. Who's the companion? So, yeah, it's just, it's just a Doctor-Male companion yeah. pairing. Which I don't, Has there ever been a Doctor-Male companion? Well, Adric, Keeper of Traken. But Nissa was kind of there as a Yeah, this was incoming. already there and, and, and incoming. I mean, not that that was the plan, but she was just so good straight away. Yeah, it, it, but it's interesting that this is a companion travelling with the Doctor, who's male, which, you know, for more than just... Yeah, a one-off. Um, yeah, I don't think it's ever been done with the Doctor with just another male, but there's... So the first thing I that struck me about this was the theme arrangement that they decided to go with, which is a combination of the Delia Derbyshire theme with 
the Howl theme. So they've got the Howl bass line with the Derbyshire melody, and I think it works really well. Did you have any thoughts on that, Philip? Yeah, or did you it... skip it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't skip it. Um, I often do. No, no, I was, I was actually quite intrigued by it. But yeah, you should play a bit of it here. <laughs> All right, so the second thing that struck me was the sound design. So the, the name in the credits on sound design is Jim Mortimer. So there is a familiar name that comes up uh, every now and then uh, throughout novels and even through Big Finish. The sound design was very, very interesting, Philip, to say the least. Any comments on that? Yeah, I had the design by Bricks, though. I was at the design of the covers, is so I had music and editor. So the editor, the sound designer, is it? So the production notes here. There's a there's a website called Justice with a Y dot org. Yep. yep. Um, and that says that um, Jim's using his expertise in multi-track recording, synthesizer programming, and keyboard playing. He introduced audio visuals to a whole new level of technology, stretching imaginations beyond crackly effects records and primitive music and into the world of multi-effects processes and sampled orchestral sounds. Cloud of Fear not only showcases Jim's musical talent with the aid of a Yamaha DX9, the faithful Roland SH-101 and a Moog Rogue, but features an array of dripping, gurgling and crashing sound effects, some of which owe their creation to Jim's legendary bathroom. So judging by that, it was music and sound design. Yeah, if, he's, be, yeah. if he's taken yeah. sounds from his bathroom, that's they still do that to this day, sound they designers. do. I guess it's interesting just looking at notes in terms of we get, once again, used to big Finnish websites and you know modern productions and how things get listed in credits there. So it, it was interesting. So, yeah, I, I didn't actually didn't read to the production notes like you just did then. I was just looking at the production credits and I couldn't actually see anything there that actually said sound design. But it, it does sound like um, music seems to categorize the sound design as well. Um, yeah, so it's fascinating, Jim Mortimer, because I, I think he, he did the first Silurian story, didn't he? Was it, he also wrote the first Silurian Big Finish story? No, not Big Finish. He wrote uh, Blood Heat, the Silurian uh, book, Heat. New Adventures. Okay, there you go. So, yeah, the, so the Blood Tide was the uh, written by Jonathan Morris. Jonathan John. Morris, of course it was, which I should have known that. Sorry, Jonathan. Of course he wrote that. <laughs> However, Jim Mortimer did write one story for Big Finish, at least, uh, and I remember this one story because it's one of my all-time favourite Eighth Doctor stories, The Natural History of Fear. And so if you listen to The Natural History of Fear, uh, Jim Mortimer uses the original audiovisuals theme as the theme throughout the soundtrack of that story. So uh, they they were sort of mixing the uh, Delia Derbyshire theme or Ron Grainer theme by this stage. But in the very first audiovisual story, they made up their own theme. And that... He uses that in the uh, in Natural History of Fear, which is really interesting. So lots of calls, callbacks to this particular time. Good on you, Jim. Uh, one thing I will say about this, though, was that the the Cyanivore dialogue at the start of the episode had me thinking is that's that's what had me thinking this guy's picked this one as a joke because I could not understand what they were saying. And you were telling me that too, Philip. Oh, I really struggled to work out what on earth they were saying. And, and and I was trying to work out. Do I need to put some headphones on and sit in a dark room somewhere to work it out? 
And then in the end, I just let it go. I <laughs> just hoped I'd pick up enough. The story got moving enough that you didn't need their dialogue, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, can I say, I often found Big Finish early on, a lot of the treatment of a lot of their monsters was very hard to understand. Um, you know, Spe- Spectre landing more, I love, but that little creature thingy, I can't understand a word he's saying. And I, I know other people do, maybe just... Yeah, I'm getting old. Don't know. I wasn't old when they came out, though. It was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I did. I did certainly struggle to understand that. And I did. I thought that the sound effects were probably just a bit too loud, a bit too intrusive. So as much as that, you now lovely that bathroom sounds from Jim, I did think that they probably had overlaid the sound design a bit loud on top of the dialogue at times, because I really was enjoying the actors' work in terms of you know the vocal work. Can I just actually mention Nicholas Briggs as a doctor? He's really good. Like, surprisingly good. Um, actually, I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, Nicholas Briggs is a great actor. Yeah, I love his Sherlock Holmes. I love other acting. Yeah, sorry. I know Daleks is acting, but it's his non-monster roles as well. I, I always love what he does. But playing the doctor, he actually brought a really interesting personality type to the doctor. And you know what? It was a very eighth doctorish at times, too. That, you, you know, you, you could believe this was a real doctor in the line, you know, after Sylvester McCoy. I was very impressed by it. Yeah, well, keep in mind, this was released in 1985. So a totally alternate doctor. And it made me think, has Nicholas Briggs ever done any official work uh, as the doctor? And yes, he has. Do you remember which uh, story he's played the doctor in? No. Time's ticking. Uh, it was actually, he played the the previous Doctor in the Unbound story, Exile, where he was escaping the Time Lords and regenerated into a woman. Oh, well, he, he was a Doctor before it turned into her, was it? Was that's he? right. Oh, yeah. okay. There you I'm go. sure, unless I've got my wires completely crossed, but that's my memory anyway. Yeah, I yeah. haven't listened to Exile for I know very, David, very... Tennant, David Tennant was in that episode, but he was playing, uh, He's playing a, a different Time Lord. Yeah, he was playing something yeah. else. I am... Um... I need. I probably should go listen to it again. I do remember the first time I listened to it, I was a bit unimpressed. Female I've listened to it again, and yeah, you'll you'll still throwing, be unimpressed. Don't throwing worry. up everywhere, and oh, oh, will I still be unimpressed? <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's it's not what it's, I've gone. It's gone not back Nick's to. finest hour. I'll give you. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's well, it's 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 played as a total comedy anyway. That one, so it's you can it can be forgiven for that. Yeah, so his his characterization's good. I didn't care much for the uh, for the companion. I I didn't find. I mean, a bit bland. Uh, quite quite bland. I didn't think he was very good. But you know, this is an amateur production from 1985. Keep in mind, this is when the hiatus would have been on. So it would have been new Doctor Who at the yeah. time. I really had not realised it was that long ago. That is astounding. Speaking of Alan Lear, the writer, he went on to write a few more stories, uh, including. Enclave, a relative, Planet of Lies, and Minuet in Hell, most famously because that was also, that was taken on to uh, to a to Big Finish and adapted for Big Fit. Totally different. The audio visuals Minuet in Hell is completely different. I've not to... heard it. So you've heard the original Minuet in Hell? Oh yes, yes. Um, the Big Finish one is set in a a slightly future future of of the contemporary time uh, alternative country or pretend or a fictitious country. This one is actually set in the real Hellfire Club back in the day. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Interesting. Totally different setting. But, uh, yeah. So, the concepts are all there. And some of the dialogue that was used in the original audio visual 
that's delivered by the Eighth Doctor is delivered by Nick Briggs, this exact word for word. So it's interesting you say that Nick Briggs' performance could be Eighth Doctorish. Yep. Because yeah, it comes across in that Minuet in Hell in particular. Yeah, it's, it's, it's even, even more impressive. He's so Eighth Doctorish when you think the Eighth Doctor wasn't even around yet, not for another ten years. Yeah. So this really, it really is actually pitched really well for a Doctor who doesn't yet exist. So I, I would have thought he, I could have said he was copying Paul McGann's performance. Which he obviously wasn't because it was years before Paul McGann's performance. Yeah. So he just yeah just nailed it really well. Um, interesting dialogue throughout. Alan Lear was famous for giving the the Doctor interesting monologues, and Nick Briggs certainly had uh, had some interesting monologues in here that really stuck out in my mind. Uh, he talks about being a Time Lord with thirteen incarnations. That he's got a potential lifespan of eight hundred years per incarnation. So that's interesting. You ever heard anything like that before? That was the first time I've ever heard that, uh, which I thought was an interesting concept. But when the Doctor faces or is uh, faced with his fear uh, and sort of reflects on his life and how he's wasted his life and he talks about how he wants to go back to Gallifrey and uh, actually I've got the transcript here. That website's got transcripts of the episodes too. So let me read the transcript. Uh, which I thought was very interesting. He says, I'll, I'll donate my TARDIS to the Presidential Museum. They'll appreciate that. Sightseers will point to it and ask, Sightseers will point to it and ask, whatever happened to the madman who used to wander the universe in that thing? And the curator will say, he learned his lesson and came home for good. Perhaps, perhaps I'll be the curator. So there is an interesting prediction for what was to come many, many years down the track uh, in the television series. Uh, yeah. The mention of a curator all the way back then. I wonder if Stephen Moffat was listening to this. Who knows? Be interesting to ask him one time. When, when we get Stephen on, we'll ask him. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll definitely do that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, very interesting, very interesting story. And uh, you can hear it if you go to justice.org. They've got all the audio visuals there. You can just download them. They're free. Have a listen. They really are. I, I mean, I hadn't listened to any at all before we started this podcast, 99 episodes ago. Um, but having now started to listen to some of them, I'm really uh, enjoying where they went. And, and I think some of them went up a funny alley. But on the whole, the, the, the different ones I keep listening to, I keep enjoying them. Something, something all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, it started off a bit shaky, but it became quite good, this one. Shall we move on? Let's do it. Okay, we'll have a listen to a trailer for Memory Lane, an Eighth Doctor, Charlie and Kerry's adventure. Excuse me, I was here first. I'm sorry, you go. Can I get a Mr. Whippy? With a... a, a flake? Yeah, of course. Who has a Whippy without a flake? Chocophobics? Imagine that, being afraid of chocolate. That'd be terrible. Dreary Street. Why do you say that? All the houses look the same. <laughs> Welcome to suburbia. No, I mean they really do look identical. Gardens, curtains, look. Hello? Is there a tall blue box in your house? Not that I know of, dear. 
fine. Never mind. Don't move. Why not? Because I'm pointing a gun at you. <laughs> is that a gun? Yes, it is. Yes? Hello. Have you seen me before? I don't think so, dear. And there isn't a police box in your front room? No. Thank you. You've been terribly helpful. What is the most ruthless thing in the bakery? What's a bakery? A teller the bun. <laughs> it's kind of funnier if you knew him. Charlie, look. These are my astronauts. The red one's me, the blue one is Samuel, and the yellow one is Kim. Oh, is Kim a boy or a girl? I don't know. Well, you must have heard the name somewhere before. <laughs> Just made it up. Blue box. Pardon, dear? Blue box. Tall one. I'm afraid I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, no good, then. Forget it. Describe it to me again. A sort of tall blue box. Remind me, Lest. Why do you feel it's significant? I don't think it's ever been there before. This is a warning for anyone who can be dumb. I can't do anything about this. I'm sorry, but I'm about to crash into what looks like a populated area. If anyone gets killed, I'm really, really sorry. Yes, I've seen you on telly. All right, so Memory Lane. This is the debut Doctor Who script for Eddie Robson, who I hadn't realised started prior to the Lucy Miller series, but um, uh, he did, and this was his first one. What was your overall thoughts of this story, Philip? I really enjoyed this. I hadn't... It wasn't one that sticks in my head. If I'm thinking about Eighth Doctor stories... It's not something, one that pops up in terms of, you know, one of my favourites. But once it started again, it, it, I mean, I have heard it many times before. It really is very intriguing. The first episode in particular, trying to work out what on earth is going on, hmm. because it's just, you know, house after house after house, identical, and then with the same person inside every house. And I think the way it's constructed in terms of each episode adds a slightly new dimension to the storyline. It's, it's very cleverly paced that way. And I ended up being quite intrigued by the whole story again. Not quite sure. I'd, I'd forgotten a couple of key moments about why it was there and why it was set up the way it was. Um, in, in my head, it was actually a prison. I, I'd kind of remembered it as a prison, but that's not what it is at all. And so once again, once I, you know, once the, the reveal happened in the fourth, fourth episode, I think, I was a bit surprised. Terms, oh, that's not what I had remembered happening. Um, but yeah, very. Well, you've got the you've got the aliens referring to it as a cell, so yes, that's, that's that, what gives you the idea that it could be a prison. That's right, and the doctor himself is saying he thought it was a prison as well. That it was mm. is being held to imprison someone, um, which it is being used to imprison someone. It's just that the person hasn't actually committed a crime. The reason why the person's imprisoned is a bizarre alien reason, and it's, it's yeah, it, it's. It's nice when an alien race has isn't just human, and the fact that this alien race had something distinct about them that made them unique and different, and therefore require a prisoner, was intriguing. And also, it said something about technology and how technology de- develops. Um, I mean, I love Eddie Robson's writing, and he goes on to write some amazing stuff later on. This, yeah, this is he's he'd done a couple of short stories before now for Bernice, but this is his first audio he's done. And he really captures the, the dialogue so well. I think the Eighth Doctor gets some amazing scenes. Charlie gets some amazing scenes. 
And then what warms my heart is, you know, when Charlie's mum, Annika Wills, yeah. um, Big turns up. There. And I, I, I don't think this is the first time Annika's been here playing her mum. No, no, she no. was all through Zagreus. Of course, she was all through Zagreus. I think we've even seen the beef, maybe not before then. But anyhow, I mean, it's, it's she's well known for being um, Charlie's mum. And I'd forgotten she was in it too, because once again, I don't spoil myself. I don't go looking for cast or anything beforehand. And so just listening through again, um, when her mum suddenly appears, Elspeth Pollard, I forget who it is now. Um, when her mum suddenly appears, it was just Lady Pollard. It was just lovely to hear Annika. Lady back. Louisa Pollard. Lady Louisa, that's right, Pollard. Um, just hearing Annika back, and her and Charlie, and when very cleverly, Charlie, they were sort of regressive back to childhood. But they do it so gradually, you hardly notice it's happening. Hmm. And then suddenly you realise, oh, hang on, she's a little kid now. But it was done over a bit of, enough time, and, and India Fish just played it so well that you had this very slow regression. I guess it wasn't surprising because one of the other main characters was playing a child, you know, an adult playing a child. But because they took you there very gradually, it was a, just a lovely descent into childhood. What, what, what are your impressions, Dwayne? What are some of your early impressions? No, I, I really can see Eddie Robson's style developing very, very... Like, he's putting a, an, an immediate stamp of his style uh, into the Doctor Who ranges because most recently we'd heard uh, a story of his from the Eighth Doctor and Charlie box set that came out just in the last couple of months. That's right. I think that was called The Slaying of the Writhing Mass. Is that right? Yep. So similar kind of comedic elements to it. And he reminded me a little bit of very similar to Rob Shearman with some of the some of the dialogue and some of the absurd situations like uh, they they're still very very distinct but I was getting similar kind of vibes from 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 this uh story in particular so I really enjoyed that and you're right the start of this story had a really intriguing and it really sucks you in uh the way it the way it starts off a uh, little bit convoluted at, at towards the end a little bit confusing at the end uh, when you get the resolution. I did listen to it a couple of times, so it's all it's all there. It's all fine. But I figured that that's you know that's a script editor's job to make that all make sense if it if it's a little bit hard at the end. So it's not all down to Eddie Robson. But yeah, uh, an, another actress that has a big part in this that I didn't realise who she was until I looked her up is the actress playing Mrs. Brody, uh, Nina Baden Semper. Now I don't know if you recognise that name. But as soon as I looked her up and I saw her face, I went, oh, of course, I know her. She was playing one of the wives in Love Thy Neighbor, which is a, a very uh, long running. Uh, inappropriate. <laughs> well, it's inappropriate. I, I don't agree because I think it's making a fool of the, the racist. It's, it's inappropriate because people label it as racist, but it's actually making a fool of the racist the entire show. Yeah, yeah good point, actually. And, yeah, and, and she. Um, Eddie Booth is the ultimate fool uh, who is a, a, a full-blown racist. So I think that's that's a good point that that, that that show tries to make. But anyway, I always remember her from that. I always enjoyed that show. And uh, I think she plays a really good part here too. I, I love the West Indian accent, whether that's West Indian or not. I don't know. Jamaican. Yeah, yeah, because we've we've had a few uh, West Indian type accents in various productions recently. So I thought, I wonder if it's anyone who's done anything else. But no, I I don't think she's done anything else for Big Finish. So uh, her one and only appearance in that. Yeah, just her one appearance. Um, one of the things I like I love about Eddie Robinson, he loves these vehicles, 
and in nearly every story he has, there's some kind of vehicle. I mean, he does a whole Paul McGann, which is all about racing, I think. Um, did he do Max Warp? Is that him? I think that's Eddie Robson. I might be wrong there. Um, but the, the whole idea of the ice cream van uh, in this and then the TARDIS tied to the ice cream van, it's just such a beautiful image of the, the pink van with the blue TARDIS on top. Uh, yeah, and it's, I've never seen it, but it's just visually so striking in my head what, what that image would look like. Okay. Um, and I just think that's one of the things he, he does very well. And he's alien ships, you know, amongst the normality of suburbia. Um, I, I think it's amusing. I also like the musical themes too. So a very sapphire and steel type theme with the green sleeves going all the time in repeat. Um, so that that's a kind of a sapphire and steel trope. Uh, but also the references to Led Zeppelin. The Led Zeppelin 2 was one spaceship that uh, one of the characters yep. travelled on, and then d- another one was the Led Zeppelin 4. So both of those are Led Zeppelin albums. They, they, are, they numbered their first oh, really? four albums. So Led Zeppelin 2 and 4 are different albums. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I like those kind of musical references too, being a, being a classic rock fan myself. Um, so when you, when you were a child, did your parents tell you that if the ice cream band was playing green sleeves, they'd run out of ice cream? Or was that just my parents? It was just your parents. Right, yeah. My parents it, never bought bought me any. They just uh, made us watch from the window and wave as it went past. Okay, my parents said I was playing the shoe and they run out of ice cream. That's a good one. I yeah. like that. I might use that myself. <laughs> I wonder if our Mr. Whippy plays uh, green sleeves. I can't remember. I haven't heard him for a while. So, I'm actually, um, obviously UK listeners, they obviously the, the ice cream trucks play green sleeves. I mean, that's a good, you know, written by Henry VIII and all that. Um, American listeners, do, do, you, do you have ice cream vans in America? And if so, what do they play? Do they play tunes? And do you know, oh, you know what we talk about with green sleeves? Because you've watched, you've listened to this episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, very famous little ditty that Henry VIII wrote for Anne Boleyn. Just for a bit of useless history there for you. Uh, just one final thing that I'll say about this story is that it's, not surrounded by, but the three preceding Eighth Doctor and Charlie stories were, to my memory, because I haven't heard them for a while, but they're a little bit lacklustre. I think the oh no, we've reviewed one of them, Scaredy Cat. That was a little bit underwhelming. Uh, that was the story, uh, a couple of stories before this one. We had a story called Something Inside and another one called Time Works. And all those had a kind of a little bit of a lacklustre feel to them from my, from my memory. Although Time Works, I always forgive Time Works because it's got Ronald Pickup in it, so I, I love it just for that. But when, when we were speaking to Gary, you've got to remember that all these stories were all written originally for the Divergent Universe. Right. And so these were Well, you can tell support, Time Works was for sure. You can tell yeah. Time Works was for sure, and really you can tell this was as well because of the use of time in this, or non-use of time in some ways. Um, and so originally written for the Divergent Universe, when they found out the show was coming back, they ended the Divergent Universe two or three seasons earlier than they planned and suddenly all the stories that were supposed to be taking place there suddenly got shifted back into our universe and they had to try and make them work and some mm. of them you can feel that they struggle and, and grunt and you know, had they stayed as part of that divergent universe with the story arcs um, it'd be fascinating to know what had to be changed and what effect that actually had on the stories yeah they're very interesting too because the whole premise of the story is that the aliens are using a technology that um the the TARDIS crew really can't comprehend them using when they could be using something that's oh, how much I'm, I'm trying to say this without spoiling it Philip but um yeah, try, the, try the, not spoil it we want people to listen to this and it's really cheap to go buy at the moment 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't. I won't spoil it. But there's a different technology that's sort of unable to be comprehended by the aliens in the story. I'll put it that way. And that was the whole premise behind the Divergent Universe too. Is that everyone in that universe had a different perception of time. So, uh, yeah. Well, you're right, Philip. Absolutely right. Agree with you. Hundred yeah. percent. So yeah, go, go grab it, guys. It's two ninety nine in whatever currency you, you use in whatever mm. country you're in, because that's how yeah. Big Finish do their prices. Yeah. So it's it's not too expensive, and it's it's a fun little story. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's leave that there, and we will go on to what we are going to select for our next Randomoids episode. I'm going to do something a little bit different this time, Philip. I'm going to get you to pick one for me. And I'm going to pick one for you. We're, we're going to listen to both, but right. I'll pick one and you'll pick one. They'll be a complete surprise, except I'm going to give you the caveat that you have to pick for me something from the Companion Chronicles, because I've not heard most of them. I've heard a lot of the earlier ones, but most of the later ones I haven't heard. Uh, just don't pick Mahogany Murderers, anything but that. So I'm going to throw to you and you can pick one of those for our next Randomoids. Okay, give me a moment. Yeah, have a moment. Make it a good one. Yeah. I don't mind if it's a double either. It's fine. Okay, Dwayne. Well, I think I know what I want for you. Um, Companion Chronicles. It's called The Last Post by James mm. Goss. Awesome. It's a, it's a Liz Shaw and it is pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. And pretty exciting. And have you got have you got the Blu-ray for season seven yet? Did it come out? Blu-ray for season seven? No. Season seven out yet on Blu-ray? It's not out yet. Okay, never no. mind. But it wouldn't hurt you to review all the short stories in season seven before you listen to the last post. But you don't have to do that. But yeah, last post. Uh, Caroline John, Rowena Cooper, who of course is now back playing Queen Victoria in the Tortured series. Cool. Um, you will really enjoy it. It is spectacular. And I'm looking, I'm forward, looking forward to, forward to, to that. it again. Yeah, awesome. And I, me, I don't... Dwayne. I don't need to. I don't need to know too much about season seven. It's a season I watched many, many times. Yeah, over and over again. I must admit, I know it backwards. What, what about me? What are you, you going to throw at me, Dwayne? All right. So there's you? a lot of talk at the moment about the new uh, Unbound Doctor, played by Colin Baker. Yep. So I thought we'd go back to an Unbound story from the Unbound oh, series, okay. and I'm going to pick this one because I know that it's not one of your favourites. So I want to see if you can get a different take on it. This is because its I've heard you say it's not a favourite of yours, but it is my favourite. And that's Full Fathom 5 with David Collings. Oh, okay. My absolute favourite Unbound. Uh, and I haven't talked about that on the podcast yet, so I'd love to talk about it with you. Okay. Well, see, I if mean, I can, see if I can turn you. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I'm very fond of David Collins and we've only recently lost him. Mm. So that will be, yeah, okay. Sounds great. I'll have a listen to that. So that's for our next Randomoids. Looking forward to that in a month or so's time. Just to let you know, we're also going to be doing uh, a feature very soon, within the next month or so as well, on the Forge series. Um, so if you want to start listening to your Forge CD, so starting Project Twilight, Project Lazarus, Project Destiny, Project Nirvana, Companion Chronicle. So they're the four main project audio stories there's lots more to if you actually start delving get your ears around those and we'll be we'll doing a feature on that too over the next month or two sounds great let's go on to our recommendations um is it my turn yet believe it, it or not it's not oh it's not oh, it's, it's okay. your turn 
Okay, then, my turn. Um, I'm going to recommend one of the recent Torchwood releases, um, Caddock Point. Um, recently, we had Tom Price on the program. It was great chatting with him. And, you know, and, you know Sergeant Andy is usually, you know, very light, hard, a lot of fun. But in this episode, it, you get to see a more serious side of, of um, Sergeant Andy. He's a bit more grown up. He's investigating for himself. He... It's after Torchwood has ceased to be, and he has worked out there's a problem, and he could be getting to into realms that are a bit beyond what he should be getting to, but it's all him going back to near where he was born, where he grew up, dealing with a number of interesting characters, dealing with a number of missing peoples, but it's some beautiful dialogue, and the suspense just grows and grows to a really great climax. From Big Finish Productions... Torchwood Caddock Point. Three men all painted Caddock Point before they went missing, and so did you. You've seen my painting? Yes. Then surely you must have some idea what happened to them. Don't go to Caddock Point and stop looking at the pictures if that's what you've been doing. The chapel. It wasn't there before, I'm certain of that. And though there was no bell in its tower, I could still hear it chiming away. The chapel down in the cove. I don't know how old it was meant to be, but well, that day it looked ancient. And it is there. I think it's always there. But only when it wants to be seen. If I go down to the cove right now, will I see it? Almost certainly. But you mustn't. Show me... Show me everything. Big finish for the love of stories. Have you had listened to that one yet, Dwayne? I haven't had a chance to yet, but uh, I'm interested because we had lots and lots of James Goss last year, and he's he's stepped back a little bit this year so far, hasn't he? Well, so the yes. last the last few yep. releases, he's uh, he hasn't written. So interested to see what these other voices are doing with the Torchwood range. Although, right. although everything James does is completely different, so it's, but it's just interesting to see a different name on it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, so that's David Clewellyn. I, I'm, I'm trying to pronounce it properly. I know there's a Welsh way of pronouncing it, Clewellyn. Um, no, 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 don't do that. No, don't do that. Sorry, David. <laughs> um, I, I meant to practice his name, but I didn't. But that's really, yeah, it's a great story. And yeah, and, yeah. go back and listen to our Tom Price interview. That was great to talk with him mm. but yeah good to keep seeing what he's doing in some of his new work what are you doing what what have you been listening to what do you recommend i am going to recommend a bbc audio release uh over the last year they've started releasing a series called beyond the doctor uh we the first one was a story with romana and laszlo in e-space the second one was a story called bessie come home told from the perspective of bessie which was very interesting, uh, written by Paul Mars. And Paul Mars wrote the January release called London 1965, which takes place immediately after Barbara and Ian uh, are dropped back uh, to contemporary Earth. Uh, well, contemporary as far as the viewers were concerned at that time. It wasn't contemporary for them. They'd lost a couple of years. So yep. what happened to Ian and Barbara immediately after that Uh Paul Mars has got a really quirky sense of storytelling. Uh, I mean, he writes Iris Waldheim, so uh, 
um, or he invented Iris Wild Time. So it, it says it you all. know you can expect he's going to be a bit quirky. So something something totally unexpected for Ian and Barbara because I always imagined that they were going to end up together. It's possibly the possibility that they might uh, at the end of this story, but uh, there could be a bit of a journey in getting there, and that's what all this story is about. So fascinating story with Ian uh, leaving teaching and deciding to become a science fiction writer. Wow, believe it sounds, or not, sounds like fun. It's fascinating. So check that out. London, nineteen sixty-five, by Paul Mars. Great. Well, that's been fun, Dwayne. Been great chatting with you as always. Great looking at some. Uh suggestions from our listeners about what we should be listening to and uh yeah i I love the fact that i'm being made to think think about things and listen to things i wouldn't have chosen naturally yeah yeah, always great to be made to that so thank you for the suggestions who have suggested those two pieces of audio yeah it wasn't a joke after all no it wasn't indeed (laughs) all right thanks so much and thanks for your feedback too it's always great to hear from you we will catch you next week we'll give them a clue as to what next week is all about no yes Ah, uh, we can if you want. What's the well, no, we'll, clue you we want to give Well, drop them? a hint. We could say, well, next week's episode 100, whether you like it or not. We'll leave it at that. Okay, then. See you, Dwayne. Bye. This has been the Sirens of Audio, episode 99. We've got Randomoids reviewing Cloud of Fear and Memory Lane with your host, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Theme music by the Jackpot Golden Boys. Contact details, links to our podcast and video locations, social media and more can be found at sirensofaudio.com. And if you want our thoughts on a Doctor Who audio play that you enjoy, drop us a line to let us know what it is at sirensofaudio at gmail.com or via our socials. Because audio drama...